Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Stockman. I'm going to bobble right into introducing today's guest. I recently spoke with Phil Sklar, co-founder and CEO of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, you heard that correctly. There is a museum dedicated to bobbleheads. In our conversation, Phil explains his start in the bobblehead world, talks about creating a museum from scratch, and shares about bobblehead history. As a bobblehead collector myself, this was a really fun episode to put together. This week's overtime segment is about the great Willie Mays. Be sure to stay tuned after our interview for some fun facts about the baseball legend whose 1999 San Francisco Giants bobblehead rekindled a love for the hobby. Now, here's my conversation with Phil. Well, today on Hallowed Ground, I'm talking to Phil Sklar, co-founder and CEO of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum in Milwaukee. Phil, how are you? Doing great, Andrew. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm really excited for this. I'm a bobblehead collector myself and excited to talk to a fellow one. And so can you start by just walking the audience through the history of bobbleheads? It can be pretty broad. I know it's been many years that they've existed, but what does the history look like? Yeah, so most people are pretty surprised to find out that they actually date back to the late 1700s. That's the earliest we can definitively date them back. There's been mentions of them going back further, but we have never found anything that, you know, proof of that. But, you know, there were figurines that date back to prehistoric times. And so bobbleheads are sort of a an extension of that, obviously, with the motion, with the head. And so there's a painting of Queen Charlotte in her dressing room at Buckingham Palace from the late 1700s. And she has two figurines behind her, and those figurines are actually in the Buckingham Palace collection still, but their heads bobbled. So they were on uh, little contraptions that made the heads move when they're touched. And so that's sort of the origin of the bobblehead. And those are more just decorative figurines, and they evolved over time, but have you know pretty much remained the same with just a body spring and a head. And you know. There was the first mention of them in 1840s book uh, by Nikolai Gogol of a cat with a plaster head uh, that wagged. And so that was sort of the first time that uh, we can trace it back to written language. But, you know, they were more just decorative figurines. People would purchase them, you know, for uh, decoration in their house and then really didn't come you know, into prominence until the 1960s. And the year 1960 was when the first officially licensed sports bobbleheads uh, made their debut and uh, it was from a promote a company that handled you know, merchandise and concessions at major stadiums across the country so they had most of the rights uh, most of the concessions and merchandise at you know baseball basketball football and hockey stadiums and so they introduced them uh, in baseball and, uh, and football first with that sort of generic classic boy face and fans enjoyed them they were affordable and kids would you know play with them some people put them up you know as more of a collectible decoration in their house and so from there you know bobbleheads really took off they faded out of prominence a bit in the 70s and 80s but then uh, 1999 was really the resurgence and they haven't slowed down since and that was when the san francisco giants gave away a bobblehead at a game for the first time uh for any team having a promotional giveaway for bobbleheads and um, really a transformative time because fans just went crazy for them. And that's when really they started to be given away at games across the country and also started to get sold, you know, at stores as well. Yeah. My dad has a bunch of sports memorabilia and me and him have loved sports all of our lives. And so he found in our attic, like a 1960s Kansas city athletics 
uh, bobblehead and it has that boyish face and it's a generic A's bobblehead and it's in fairly decent condition too. So um, that's a really cool piece that he has. And then I remember going to Royals games growing up and we would kind of base the games we went to on the giveaways and that would include the bobbleheads and just kind of awaiting the promotional schedule too. So I, I relate to a lot of that. And I'm curious how you got into bobbleheads yourselves. Have you always been a collector or what was your kind of first experience with a bobblehead? I started collecting growing up baseball cards. Uh, my dad collected baseball cards when he was growing up and you know, it was just one of those things that we enjoyed. Sounds like you have similar experience, but you know, baseball cards from really 1983 when I was born, you know, he would get me cards and I, you know, would probably play with them, but um, you know, really started collecting them and keeping them in good condition and going to trading card shows and the local shops. Then about 2003, the other co-founder of the museum, Brad, uh, were both from Rockford, Illinois originally. Um, he was working for the minor league baseball team, the Rockford Riverhawks, and they gave away a bobblehead for the first time uh, as a promotion of their mascot, which was Rocco the Riverhawk. And, you know, he got that, thought it was cool. We both, you know, both thought it was pretty cool. You got a free bobblehead at a game. And that was, you know, pretty early on when minor league teams were starting to give away bobbleheads in more frequency. And we were going to school in Milwaukee at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and being big sports fans like you and your dad, you know, you said you'd circle the bobblehead games or other promotional items. So we were already going to go to a few brewers and bucks and admirals, the hockey team and the indoor soccer team, the Milwaukee wave games. And so we, you know, circled those bobblehead games and went to the games and got a few bobbleheads. Sometimes we'd get bobbleheads from people who didn't want them or buy a few extra ones and we'd trade them. And then we started to, you know, buy them on eBay. And that's really how the collection grew and how that passion really started. Okay. I was going to ask you how you and Brad met, but you went to school together. Is that right? Yeah. So we met, uh, we actually went to all the way back to middle school uh, together and shared the common interest in sports and other common interests. And uh, both went to school here at EWM in Milwaukee and have made Milwaukee our home ever since and now have the museum. That's cool. I was going to ask you how it kind of turned from like your own personal collections to a museum and what was kind of that shift where it was like we have a lot of these how can we display them so i know it was started as a website first it sounds like but can you just walk us through that process yeah so you know over time the collection was growing you know we started with that one bobblehead of rocco and um, you know before we knew it we had you know maybe 10 bobbleheads from different uh, milwaukee teams and we went to a couple of chicago games because we were from rockford and chicago fans but then we started to travel um, after college to go to try to get to all the baseball stadiums across the country so you know when we were in cleveland we'd go to uh, the indians game but we'd also go to the rock and roll hall of fame and you know if we'd drive by an antique store or thrift store we'd pick up some bobbleheads and so that's how really the collection started to grow pretty quickly and then you know we'd go online um you know on ebay and say oh that's a cool bobblehead that the marlins gave away you know billy the marlin let's get that one for the collection we'll sell you know some of these extra ones that we have four or five of and so yeah it grew that way and, and then in 2013 we set out to produce a bobblehead for the first time uh, we wanted to honor a friend of ours named Michael Pohl, who is a manager for all the Milwaukee Panthers uh, college sports teams um, and also a Special Olympian. So we had never had any experience with the production side. We were just collectors. We were working, you know, I was in corporate finance and he was in uh, retail sales for a cell phone company. 
so this was just something we did on the weekends and for fun. We made a couple of calls to companies that we knew manufactured bobbleheads and uh, found one that, you know, helped us with that process. Most of the other ones didn't even respond to us. You know, it's something they were probably busy on stadium giveaway bobbleheads and doing a ton of different things of that nature. But at that time, we were, you know, started to make a list of, oh, here's some other people that'd be really cool to produce bobbleheads and market them. And we had a really good experience with Michael's bobblehead when it came in uh, later in the year in 2013. But uh, yeah, at the same time, our collection was right around 3,000 unique bobbleheads, which is still like, you know, when I say that, I can't imagine how we got that many in that period of time, but somehow we, you know, accumulated a ton of bobbleheads, literally a ton, I guess. <laughs> and they were starting to, you know, they started in a loft in our condo and, you know, we had one display case and, and it grew to two and three and four, and then they'd come down into, you know, shell on the bookcases and, we were running out of room. We started to store them, you know, offsite in the storage garage or and in the garage. And then at one point they started to creep into the kitchen. And that's when I was like, we got to do something about this. Uh, you know, we can't just have bobbleheads on the kitchen counter. And so at that time, you know, we were, I was in corporate finance. I was commuting a little bit, you know, 45 minutes, which was longer than my normal commute. And I started to think of, you know, how can we turn this from a passion and hobby into a business or into, you know, something that we could do full time. And we had that good experience with the production side and knew there was demand there and people interested in buying bobbleheads. And we had this collection that, you know, was became really diverse in terms of, you know, old and new and sports and non-sports. And so we sort of thought, hey, could there be an opportunity for a one-of-a-kind museum dedicated to bobbleheads, um, as well as, you know, we could produce bobbleheads to help support the museum. And we started some, you know, market research and asking, you know, people if this is something they'd be interested in. And that's really how it got started. That's awesome. I relate to a lot of what you just talked about, because I have over 70 bobbleheads, which sounds like a lot, but compared to 3,000 is not a lot. But a couple of years ago around things, I think it was Thanksgiving break and I was home from college and I was like, I'm going to catalog all that I have. And so I kind of made an Excel spreadsheet and this is very nerdy, but made an Excel spreadsheet and mapped everything out and looked up the prices and kind of assessed the value of what I had. And then I figured out which ones I needed still for the Royals stadium giveaway set and antique malls and thrift stores. I found that uh, bobbleheads at those places and I'm in a couple Facebook groups that are just like Royals bobbleheads, which is very specific. But has that been something that you all have noticed too? Is like social media playing into the bobblehead world and these different groups and fans? And what's that kind of process been like from your perspective? Yeah. So, and we definitely did some of those, you know, a lot of those same things. And, um, you know, we're cataloging and seeing what we're missing. And, oh, do we have all the brewers or all the, you know, at first we started out with just local teams and then it sort of expanded as we traveled and, you know, thought, hey, mascots are cool. But um, yeah, social media has definitely played a huge role. You know, going back before today's social media, uh, there were bobblehead related discussion boards where people would buy and sell and trade. And that, sort of morphed into Facebook becoming sort of the main platform. People still talk about them on Twitter and, you know, Instagram and TikTok and other platforms now, but Facebook is really the, the primary spot where people go to buy, sell, or trade uh, bobbleheads these days. And there's, 
damn big groups like Babelhead Addicts, which is sort of the primary one for anything and everything Babelheads, um, all the way down to a lot of pages for specific teams. And so there's everything from, you know, Babelhead groups for the Cubs and Royals to, you know, even uh, cities for all the teams, you know, in the specific cities. And it's some really cool discussions and great collaboration. I really, I think it does you know, great things for the hobby, for Babbleheads and for, you know, other hobbies that have uh, that kind of dialogue as well. Yeah, it's been fun because I've both sold and bought Bobbleheads off of Facebook and you like meet at the Target parking lot and make your your deal. And it's a good community. And there was a cool story I'll share. There was this older uh, Royals fan named, I think his name was Ray, and he was a big Bobblehead collector. And when he passed away recently, there was a big kind of sale of his bobbleheads to benefit his children and some of the medical expenses with that. And like, that was a really cool way for the kind of community of Kansas City Royals bobblehead collectors to support him and kind of like a, a fellow collector that way. So people don't think of bobbleheads as like this kind of serious thing, but it can be turned into good, like the one you created for your special Olympian friend or for people that have a collection and then they pass on and it's like what happens to all of that and it can benefit their kids too. So that's been kind of fun to see over the past couple of years as I've gotten more into the hobby myself. Yeah, that is awesome. And I did see about that gentleman and we had our biggest uh, donation of Babbleheads came from a guy in um, Cleveland, Ohio, who they called Babblehead Bob because people would bring him Babbleheads, you know, if they went to a game and got four of them, they'd bring him extras and or if they went to a thrift store and got it, they'd bring it to him. And um, he had about 1500 Babbleheads and was diagnosed with cancer um, and he knew about the museum. So he decided to donate his nearly his entire collection to the museum and really added a ton of unique bobbleheads and gave a great legacy for him. And we have his picture up on the donor wall and his family was able to come visit and see the, a lot of his bobbleheads and the, you know, the tribute to him. Um, His story was actually featured on like ESPN and CNN. So it was really cool to have that recognition for him while he was alive. um, And before he, you know, when he was donating those bobbleheads. Yeah. Is that how you all get a lot of the newer bobbleheads to your collection now is through donations or what is that process like for the museum space? Yeah. So we get people who donate uh, or, you know, contribute bobbleheads, whether it's one you know single bobblehead that they get or whether they have a collection or a collection of a relative uh, that they want to contribute. Um, we also get a lot of teams that'll send in, you know, if they do new bobbleheads and want them included in the collection. Um, some people will just drop off bobbleheads at the museum when we're open and we're open seven days a week. So we get a lot of visitors and people who are, you know, they have some extra bobbleheads and then some people just send them in. We'll get packages of bobbleheads and it's always fun to see, you know, what people have. A lot of times we'll get duplicates, but we're surprised at how much, you know, how many unique bobbleheads we still get, even with, you know, years of getting donations from across the country and and across the world for that matter. Yeah. I noticed on your all's website, kind of along those lines, there's a big like database or big kind of spreadsheet. There's searchable thing where you can figure out like every bobblehead ever produced and given away at a game. And I think that's really neat to kind of track and see what you have. And it sounds like there's a lot. Is that the entire collection or what is that database? Yeah. So the stadium giveaway database that you reference is one that chronicles basically any bobbleheads have been given away at an event, primarily a sporting event. And that's a big, a big project to keep that updated. There's somebody that has sort of done that as a hobby and he'll share it with us when he, you know, updates it so we can update the website, but it tracks right now 
close to 7,000 unique bobbleheads. And you can type in, like you mentioned, a team or a player and find out, you know, every David Ortiz bobblehead given away or every Los Angeles Dodgers bobblehead that they've given away. It's a great resource for, you know, collectors who want to collect their favorite players or teams. And so, yeah, we definitely enjoy having that up there. And we're working on ways to, you know, make that even more expansive to go beyond stadium giveaways and also to provide more information like pictures and uh, links to purchase and other things. So in the coming years, uh, I think people definitely find that to be even a more valuable tool. Cool. Yeah. I'll link to the website on um, the show notes for the episodes. People can check that out. And there was a lot on there. There's history of the bobblehead. There is a virtual tour, which I looked through a little bit. And I think that's really neat that you guys can have that kind of digital aspect of the museum too. So are there other forms of technology besides the virtual tour or the bobblehead technology itself where it it springs and the head bobs is a form of technology too, but what's kind of the link between technology at the museum? Yeah, so the virtual tour was something we added right when the pandemic started. It gave people an opportunity to visit the museum safely from anywhere in the world, uh, 24-7, 365. So that was something cool. I, you know, we think it enhances, you know, people's experience and you can't see bobbleheads to the same level as if you were to come in person. So it does sort of pique a lot of people's interest to come visit the museum even after doing the virtual tour. But at the museum, technology wise, we do have some uh, videos and other things of that nature that people can, you know, supplement their experience with. Um, we're building in more QR codes that people can scan, um, you know, to learn more about specific bobbleheads or the people depicted in the bobbleheads. And we're excited about some of those things. Um, we are looking into a few different virtual reality and augmented reality things. We have a couple things in the works from those lines, and I think that'll be a lot of fun. Bobbleheads themselves are super low technology. It's just that body head and spring. So building in some fun technology is great. And I think down the road too, we'll do some more uh, collaboration with potentially like an app where you can bobble your own head or um, some fun things like that. So it's definitely, we have a little bit and more in the works. Yeah, I like that about museums is like you have those artifacts and for you all it's bobbleheads where it's like a physical thing, but that still is a form of technology. But then you can have QR codes and additional information that just provides a better experience for people as they come in and they can learn more information and kind of figure out what they want to learn about and then use those technologies to do that. And I think, yeah, I'm excited to see like generally museums, like how they expand that use of technology, whether it's VR or who knows what it's going to be in 10, 20 years. We'll, we'll have to see, but that's going to be fun. Yeah, for sure. It is an exciting, it's an exciting time because there's so much that you can do and a lot of different opportunities out there to, to build it in to all different types of museums. Yeah. When I reached out to you, Phil, I noticed, or I knew about the museum previously, I'd seen it online or something, but I didn't know there was like a, a hall of fame portion of it. How does a bobblehead become a Hall of Fame bobblehead? Great question. So, yeah, the um, Hall of Fame concept was, uh, you know, part of our initial ideas to have just, you know, the museum plus Hall of Fame early on, like 2015, shortly after announcing the idea, which, you know, we announced in November 2014, we did an online poll uh, asking people whether Pete Rose's bobblehead should be the first one inducted. Uh, since he's not allowed into the Baseball Hall of Fame, should his bobblehead be allowed and inducted into the Bobblehead Hall of Fame? It was about 94% yes, his bobblehead should be inducted. And they got a lot of press in, in baseball and Cincinnati and all over to 
get people's opinions. And so it was a pretty representative sample. I think we had about 20,000 uh, votes. And so we inducted Pete's bobblehead into the Hall of Fame. Um, right now, his bobblehead is actually the only one in the Hall of Fame. In 2020, we were planning to have our sort of first official uh, full class of inductees, but then the pandemic came. So that sort of put those plans on hold and then we reopened in 2021. So we're working on, you know, sort of setting up the criteria, the voting method and, and everything else for the official future classes of the Hall of Fame. And we're excited about uh, sort of announcing that and getting additional babbleheads in the Hall of Fame. But for now, Pete's the only one in there and we'll have it on our website uh, so people can follow along and see. But I think it'll be for, you know, sort of the best of the best, the most iconic, uh, the most unique and babbleheads that are, you know, previously made and in the future uh, that come out. Yeah, that's funny about Pete Rose. That's that's a good attention grabber for one thing, but it's it's kind of a fun tie in and you can induct him into a Hall of Fame, even if it's not in Cooperstown. How did it kind of work to get all of the bobbleheads into the museum space? Because I'm sure that's a lot. You all have over 7,000, I think. So just what was that like figuring out the layout of the museum and the shelving and all of that to display everything that you have? Yeah, so it was definitely a, a major process. We started uh, in 2014 in an office space, like sort of a shared co-working space as we developed the plans and um, worked on the retail side of the business of producing and selling bobbleheads. Uh, but as bobbleheads, even you know, when we announced the idea in November of 2014, we started to get packages and drop-offs almost immediately of people sending in bobbleheads. So we started to accumulate even more. Um, we acquired some collections and purchased additional bobbleheads. So yeah, the 3,000 grew pretty quickly to, you know, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000. And we, you know, continued to store it. We had a preview exhibit in 2016 at a gallery in, in the Milwaukee downtown area. So that gave us a little bit of a ability to pre-plan and see reception and how things went. That exhibit had about 2,000 bobbleheads. So we have, you know, over triple that on display now, but we took those bobbleheads, put them in storage and had sort of a plan of, you know, organizing. Uh, but it took a lot of help, you know, people who are passionate and um, excited about what we were doing to assist us with, you know, just sorting and organizing and putting the bobbleheads on the shelves. The layout, we worked with the uh, sort of a designer to help take our vision and map things out. We took, you know, sheets of paper and putting them on the ground when the space was empty. Um, we have about 4,000 square feet. And so we, you know, mapped it out and did a lot of tweaking before putting shelves in and putting bobbleheads on the shelves and definitely sort of like a Tetris game where, you know, if you move something, it's just creates a lot of, you know, moving pieces. Uh, you know, if we get a big, series of reds bobbleheads that we want to put out or something something else has to get moved and you know we have have them organized by section so baseball basketball football hockey uh, sort of all the other sports and then all the non-sports bobbleheads but um yeah it's worked out really well i think um you know able to turn our vision into to reality and uh to have have them displayed in a way that you know i think is visually appealing and interesting for visitors and to hear people's feedback, I think, is the most gratifying thing, even if it's, you know, overhearing them when we're, you know, in the back or walking by and, you know, hearing comments is, has been really great because it's been really terrific feedback, which, you know, is something that when we started, we didn't know how things would be received. 
we know people love Bible hunts, but you know, it just, there's a lot of unknowns. Yeah. And I think you all may be one of the only halls of fame I've talked to for the podcast. It's not like a, there's no governing body or there's no organization or there's no like state hall of fame. It's just like you all started this and created it. And now it's this structure and you have kind of a private collection, but it's open to the public and people are able to go and donate. And I think it's very unique in that way. And I think that's adds to the, the fun of it. Probably get asked this a lot, but do you have a favorite bobblehead? Yeah, I do get asked that quite a bit. And it always comes back to Michael's bobblehead, which was the first one that we produced of Michael Pohl. Um, I don't think we'd be here right now talking if it wasn't for that bobblehead. That was sort of the inspiration uh, for the idea of having a Hall of Fame and museum dedicated to bobbleheads. Um, we probably would still be in, you know, corporate and sales tracks and just, you know, going along sort of corporate ladder type thing if it wasn't for that. So yeah, it's definitely Michael's um, bobblehead. And the funny thing is, uh, you know, we take him to different sporting events and trips and things of that nature since we've met him in 2002. But, you know, around the time we were getting ready to announce the idea, we had some flyers that we printed and had a survey link and we were, you know, bringing him to different games and giving them out to fans. And we were taking him to the minor league. It was an indoor football game. And we were parking and he saw them in the back and he's like, what's this? And we were like, oh, we're, what do you think of a museum for bobbleheads? And he's like, he started laughing. He's like, that's a stupid idea or something. And we're like, oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> but then we told him we're about it. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. And now he's sort of our biggest fan. He has our membership card that he brings around. And anytime we're with him somewhere at a Bucks game or, you know, out to eat, he'll tell people these are the guys from the Bobblehead Museum. And I have my own Bobblehead and those type of things. So, yeah, he's become from our biggest skeptic to our uh, biggest fan pretty quickly. That's awesome. I think that story kind of shows the the silliness of bobbleheads like they are naturally just kind of a silly toy or collectible but they can have like real impact on people and be a fundraiser or be um, just kind of this global appeal for different sports and different players and i talked with uh, jeremy swick from the college football hall of fame earlier this season on the podcast and he's a bobblehead collector himself and i think has some milwaukee ties jeremy has a collection of his own and he was saying how that's how we can remember people that have been an impactful on us, like an, a favorite athlete or a mascot, or even from young kids to um, older players that saw Willie Mays play. If they see a bobblehead of him, that kind of takes them back to their own youth and stuff like that. So that's kind of the more serious part of collecting sports cards or bobbleheads or anything like that, where it really does kind of tie you with those people that made an impact on you in some way as you watch them play. So I think that's just, that's a neat aspect of all this. Yeah, definitely. And we see that a lot of people with their collections um, or when they see bobbleheads at the museum, you know, talking and reminiscing and, you know, we get a lot of groups from like families and it could be, you know, multiple generations, little kids with their parents and grandparents and, you know, there's some really cool conversations with kids telling the grandparents and parents about people that the grandparents and parents don't even know about. And then the other way around where, you know, parents are telling the kids or grandparents telling the kids about some of the old characters or, you know, TV shows or comics that they grew up with and, you know, pointing out the bobbleheads and, you know, telling and sharing stories. So that's definitely a, a common thread. For sure. Well, this has been great, Phil. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. And as we wrap up, I want you to talk about where we can um, find the museum, whether that's in person or online. 
Yeah, so we're located at physical locations on the corner of First and Pittsburgh in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We're right in the heart of sort of the downtown Third Ward area, um, really popular area with a lot of shops and restaurants and things to do. We're open seven days a week, so Monday through Friday from 10 to 6, and the weekends from 10 to 5. In addition to the museum, we also have a gift shop, so we have about 500 unique Bibleheads that people can uh, purchase and take home with them, as well as merchandise and other uh, fun things with their logo on it. And then online, you can find us at bobbleheadhall.com, and so that's bobbleheadhall.com. As you mentioned, we talked about the stadium giveaway listing, a virtual tour, our online store, which has 3,000-plus unique Bibleheads that people can purchase, um, a lot more information, videos. Uh, news stories. So a great resource for people uh, looking to follow Bobbleheads. And then we're on social media, all the different platforms. We're Bobblehead Hall. So you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and all those fun platforms. And we love interacting with people, uh, doing some fun things. And recently started a Bobbler of the Week. So we highlight a unique visitor each week and ask them why they came to the museum, what their favorite Bobblehead was, and some fun things. So it's been a fun way to engage with uh, visitors and yeah definitely stop by or take a virtual tour if you're able and we look forward to, to seeing you we've had visitors from all 50 states and we have a map where you can put a pin where you bobbled in from so hopefully uh, we continue to fill that map up but with, yeah all 50 states and 25 countries and uh, just a lot of fun to have people come in and and get their uh, reactions when they see all the bobbleheads for sure this is awesome uh phil thank you so much for your time and i'll link to those um, the website and the social media pages on the show notes so people can check that out. And I need to go up to Milwaukee and visit you guys. And um, thanks for what you do. There's a lot of cool stories with that and the impact that just a kind of a silly collectible can can have on people. So thanks for your time and coming on to the show today. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Andrew. We appreciate it. And thanks again for having us. You're welcome. Like Phil discussed, the San Francisco Giants brought bobbleheads back into the cultural zeitgeist on May 9, 1999, when they gave away 25,000 Willie Mays bobbleheads. For this week's overtime segment, I'll do my best to summarize the life of the Say Hey Kid, who many, including myself, consider the greatest baseball player of all time. Willie Mays was born May 6, 1931, in Westfield, Alabama. Willie's dad, William, who went by Cat, worked in a steel mill and played semi-pro ball in the area. Willie's parents separated during his childhood, and he stayed with his father. Growing up in the Deep South during the Depression, Willie and his family faced hard times, but playing baseball with his dad in an industrial league led to greater opportunity. At age 16, Willie began playing for the Birmingham Black Barons in the Negro American League. Even when facing players in their 30s, Willie was special in all areas of the game. In the 1948 Negro American League Championship Series where the Black Barons defeated the Kansas City Monarchs, Willie batted 280 and contributed several clutch hits. He was 17 years old. Though his Birmingham squad lost the Negro League World Series that year, Willie was already drawing the attention of Major League Baseball teams, especially because teams were more open to signing other black players after Jackie Robinson paved the way with his Dodgers contract in 1946 and debut in 1947. Willie signed with the New York Giants in 1950 and tore up their minor league system, hitting 477 for AAA Minneapolis in 1951 before making his debut that May. He started out 0 for 12, but hit his first career homer for his first hit. Making this moment even sweeter was it came off of the great Warren Spahn, a fellow baseball Hall of Famer. Bobby Thompson's famous shot heard around the world sent Willie's Giants to the World Series that rookie season, although they lost to the mighty Yankees. Willie was famously on deck when Bobby hit his famous homer. And by the way, Willie was named Rookie of the Year. 
Willie served in the United States Army for most of the 1952 season and all of 1953, and returned with the remarkable 1954 season, winning the first of two MVP awards and making the most famous catch in baseball history. His jaw-dropping, back-to-the-plate, over-the-shoulder catch in Game 1 of the World Series. The first piece of text on Willie's Hall of Fame page is this quote from his manager, Leo DeRocher. If somebody came up and hit 450, stole 100 bases, and performed a miracle in the field every day, I'd still look you in the eye and say Willie was better. Willie was absolutely incredible in each of the five tools. Hitting for power. 660 homers and led the league four times. Hitting for average. Career 301 average and 10 seasons above 300. Base running. 338 stolen bases. Four times leading the league. Defense. 12 gold gloves. One of the greatest catches in baseball history. And his arm. Not only was Willie's famous catch unbelievable, he spun and hurled the ball back to the infield, keeping the Cleveland runners at bay. Plus, Willie played with such a dazzling flair and enthusiasm that could not be beat. Willie debuted at age 20 and played until age 41 with the San Francisco Giants, before wrapping up his career back in New York with the Mets. His career totals are staggering. 3,005 games, 8th all-time, 24 all-star selections tied for the most all-time, 2 all-star MVP awards, 12 gold gloves, which is tied with Roberto Clemente for most by an outfielder, 660 homers, 6th all-time, 338 stolen bases, and 156.1 baseball reference wins above replacement, 5th highest all-time. After being inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1979, Willie has remained a beloved ambassador of baseball. In this episode's show notes, I'll include an article Phil is quoted in about Willie's bobblehead day in 1999, which spawned the bobblehead movement of the past two decades. What a fun way the Giants honored a living legend. You can find the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum online at bobbleheadhall.com or smack dab in downtown Milwaukee. In the show notes, you can find links to the museum's website and social media pages, plus more info on Willie Mays' career. Thanks to Phil for being such a fun guest. I hope you enjoyed episode 20 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave Hallowed Ground a five-star rating and review. You can also check out past episodes with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, College Football Hall of Fame, and Kansas Sports Hall of Fame. I appreciate you listening. Until next time, sports fans.